Often, and particularly in domestic violence prosecutions, slick defense attorneys or uncooperative victims will try to use the spousal privilege to derail cases. Knowing what the privilege covers and how it must be established is important to prevent privileges from being abused in ways that pervert justice. I'm Paul Stein from NIPTI with a look at the spousal privilege. Love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. Dad was told by mother, you can't have one, you can't have none, you can't have one without the other. First, let's take a quick look at some general principles about privileges. Privileges are testimonial privileges. That means that their purpose is to prevent people in certain relationships from being compelled to testify about privileged communications within that relationship. Now, the person asserting the privilege, in other words, the one who wants the testimony excluded, has the burden of showing that the communication is, in fact, privileged. The assertion of a testimonial privilege does not mean that a person can ignore a subpoena for grand jury or trial. That person may also possess non-privileged information that they can testify about. Now, accordingly, and this is important, privileges must be asserted for each question, or at least on a topic-by-topic -topic basis. And this is because not all communications within a relationship are privileged. Keep this in mind if your adversary claims that a witness can't testify at all because of a privileged relationship. That simply is not the law. According to People v. Howard, the third department said that not everything spouses say to each other is privileged. The marital privilege does not protect every remark between spouses during a marriage. To be a privileged communication, it must be made by the parties within their relationship, and they must intend that the communication be a private one. Now, certain situations will negate the privilege. For example, the presence of a third party. Or there may be a more compelling public interest in piercing the privilege, such as requiring doctors to warn appropriate persons when their patients present an imminent threat of harm. The protective privilege ends where the public peril begins, the first department noted in People v. Birnbaum. And unlike wedding vows, the spousal privilege does not part at the death of one of the spouses. Showing us its romantic side, the Court of Appeals held, the spousal privilege is not terminated by death alone. This is Prink versus Rockefeller Center, 48 New York 2nd, 309. Now with these general principles in mind, let's focus on the spousal privilege. The spousal privilege, also known as the marital privilege, is legislatively creative. It exists because of a statute. And in New York, that statute is CPLR section 4502B, which states, a husband or a wife shall not be required without the consent of the other if living, allowed to disclose a confidential communication made by one to the other during marriage. Now, CPL 60.10 makes CPLR 4502 sub B's rule applicable in criminal cases. Now, importantly, the spousal privilege applies to same-sex marriages. In New York, the Marriage Equality Act of 2011 states that the law recognizes otherwise valid marriages without regard to whether the parties are of the same or different sexes. Moreover, it is the intent of the legislature that marriages of same-sex and different-sex couples be treated equally in all respects under the law. Now, why does the law recognize a spousal privilege? Well, the Court of Appeals said it is to protect and strengthen the marital bond, 
and that it reflects society's reluctance to pry into the secrets that spouses have. Professor Wigmore opined that the privilege fosters healthy marriages by encouraging full and candid communication, while courtroom revelation of confidential communications between a husband and wife would undermine the trust and mutuality of exchange necessary for the successful nourishment of a marriage. Now importantly, as we'll see in detail in a few minutes, this privilege does not protect all communications between spouses. The privilege attaches only to those statements made in confidence and that are induced by the marital relation and prompted by the affection, confidence, and loyalty engendered by such a relationship. Now, if a communication is privileged, however, there appear to be at least three recognized ways to pierce that privilege. One, where the criminal activity is aimed against the other spouse. Two, where the communication is made in the presence of third persons. And three, where the defendant is making the communication and is demanding silence by way of fear or threats. Now, according to the Court of Appeals in Pope versus Pope, to exclude testimony about these communications, the spouse who is asserting the privilege must show these five elements. Number one, there is a communication. Number two, the communication must be between spouses. Number three, the communication is induced by the marital relationship. Number four, it is made in confidence. And number five, it is made during the marriage. Now let's go through those five elements. There must be a communication. And communications may take many forms. They can be oral or written or electronically recorded. And the privilege can also apply to a spouse's observation of the other spouse's conduct. Acts as well as words may be the subject of communications. Let's look at some examples. In People v. Marinaccio, when the defendant showed his wife a weapon, that was held to be a privileged communication made within the marriage. But where a wife observed the defendant's absence from the marital apartment, that did not constitute a communication which would be made but for the marital relationship. That was in People v. Wilson, 64 New York 2nd. Okay, the second element, the communication must be between spouses. And remember, these rules apply to same-sex marriages as well. So the parties must be married at the time of the communication for the privilege to be available. Thus, an unmarried couple's communications with each other are not privileged, even if they later get married. Also, the privilege does not apply if the marriage was invalid at the time of the communication. For example, bigamy rendered a marriage invalid under People v. Mulgrave. Now keep in mind that the general health of the marriage does not bear on the privilege itself. So spouses that are separated and spouses where a wife had a criminal charge pending against her husband at the time of the communication both gave rise to the privilege. The third element requires that the communication must be induced by the marital relationship. Now there's a rebuttable presumption that communications between spouses were induced by the marital relationship. And the Court of Appeals provides parameters for determining if the statement was in fact induced by the marital relationship in Pope versus Pope. And in that case, the court held that for the privilege to apply, the communication must be induced by the marital relationship and prompted by the affection, confidence, and loyalty engendered by such a relationship. In People versus Melsky, the Court of Appeals held that not all daily and ordinary exchanges between spouses are privileged, but only those which would not have been made but for the absolute confidence in and induced by the marital relationship. Let's look at some examples. 
In a domestic violence case, the third department in People v. Govan made it plain that where criminal activity is aimed at a spouse, the marital privilege is extinguished. Further, threats, physical abuse, or communications made during physical abuse are not prompted by affection, confidence, and loyalty engendered by the marriage, and these statements are not covered by the privilege. This was held in People v. Mills, 1 New York 3rd, 269. Now, in that case, the defendant's wife was permitted to testify that while he was choking her, the defendant said he'd kill her just like he did with that kid. Also, the Court of Appeals in People v. Dudley said that the defendant's wife would be permitted to testify that he threatened to kill her if she told anyone that he had killed another woman. Nor does the spousal privilege apply when the communication relates to child abuse. As the third department held in People v. Powers, this is because the abuse of a child is harmful to the marriage. Finally, the privilege does not extend to communications between spouses in which they are jointly advancing criminal conspiracies or aiding each other in the commission of an ongoing crime. Now, the fourth element requires that these communications be made in confidence. Now, logically, the spousal privilege does not apply to communications that are made in the presence of third parties. And indeed, the second department in People v. Thomas found no privilege in the letter that the husband wrote to his wife in the presence of a 13-year-old stepdaughter and where he left it out in plain view. Phone calls made from the jail are not made in confidence and thus are not privileged where defendants are advised that the call might be recorded or monitored. Also, a defendant who voluntarily discloses privileged communications to the police before trial waives the privilege of confidentiality at trial. And finally, for the fifth element, as we've noted before, to qualify for the spousal privilege, the statements must be made during the marriage. And as Adriana found out in The Sopranos, the privilege does not apply to statements made by the parties before they got married. However, confidential communications made during the marriage do remain privileged even after a divorce. One last important note that I'd like to emphasize here. The spousal privilege is testimonial. So a spouse giving information to the police about another spouse does not violate the privilege. Indeed, search warrants may be based on this information. Now, the U.S. Supreme Court has made this clear that the marital privilege does not prevent the government from enlisting one spouse to give information concerning the other to aid in the other's apprehension. That's Trammell versus the United States, 445 U.S. 40. And this is also the rule in New York. In People v. Skull, 37 New York 2nd at 833, the defendant's spouse summoned the police to the marital residence where she showed the officers a shotgun and some marijuana that she claimed belonged to the defendant. When the defendant returned to the apartment, the police arrested him, and the search of his person yielded a vial of LSD. Now, the Court of Appeals in this case found that the disclosure by the defendant's wife to the police was not privileged. But even if it were privileged, the court said it is a testimonial privilege and not a universal gag rule. Well, that wraps it up for this look at the spousal privilege. The relevant cases and citations are all on the page for this podcast on NIPTI's Prosecutors Encyclopedia. Now that we all know about the spousal privilege, go and do something nice for your spouse. Or if you're not married, be nicer than Christopher was to Adriana. Until next time, this is Paul Stein from NIPTI. Got a blue moon, got a blue moon in your eyes. So sad, goddamn, goddamn shame, my life.